0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of the American Years Podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, Coordinator of the American Years Project. Our project is creating space for and recording the many stories and memories of all the people whose lives are intrinsically linked to the American Navy's presence in the Holy Lock by Danoon on the west coast of Scotland. In this episode, the group talks with Jan Moody Rafino of Colonsee and Danone and her husband Fred Ruffino. Jan and Fred were one of the first Scots-American couples to marry after the arrival of the Proteus. Fred talks about his life in America, his experiences in Cuba, and what life was like for a young American sailor in Danoon. Jan shares her experiences of life here in Scotland and further away in the States. At certain points, you'll hear members of the group ask questions which Fred and Jan respond to.
1: Hello, well, I'm Jan Rufino, formerly Jan Moody of Danoon and Colin C.
2: And I am Fred Ruffino always have been a US Connecticut resident. We grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. The area was originally known as Little Italy. It was on Front Street. And basically my family is of Italian heritage. (laughs) Jan probably can tell you more about my family than myself. Uh, they were from Macedalbe. Uh
1: one was from Rome, and one was an napodan from Naples. So Freddie's second generation, it's interesting because when I first went to the States, I was expecting a very American family, and it wasn't. It was a very Italian family that had all types of old Italian traditions and not many new American
2: traditions, I may say likewise on the other side of the pond, but the family, the family is a very close knit group, obviously, because 20 years later, a lot of the family has gone. We still all live in very close proximity. Some of the younger folks live West Coast, Washington, uh, Florida, and it's not quite as large as it used to be many members of my family were in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy. One of my uncles was also in the Navy. One was in the Marines, one was in the Army, and I liked the sound of the Navy. Uh, As far as my choice, I think it had to do with the fact that as a young person, I needed to find a little direction in my life and, uh, wasn't much for schooling at the time, and the Navy gave me some opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had had I not joined. As a youth, I could have worked in a factory once I was old enough. I was uh, not settled down, to say the least. I had no direction, and I thought my passport out would be to join the military. Once I learned that I wasn't as free a spirit as I thought I was, and uh, learned the ropes that you took orders, do what you were told and follow direction. I started developing some of my own directional development. Uh, Didn't finish high school, but within several months of joining the Navy, I did take the general educational development test and passed with no trouble. And an interesting story there is I sent the test on to my high school and asked for a diploma. And they told me I could not get a diploma because my class was still going to school. So I had to wait until I obviously finished the military. And I obtained a second diploma just because I wanted a high school diploma. And that's pretty much the story of the Navy, other than serving aboard the Proteus as an engineman. Oh, I was going to say, you might want to mention Cuba. Yeah, we were in Cuba for a while. When they cut the Proteus in half, they had to add a 40-foot missile plug in it. That meant servicing the atomic submarines, and we were the folks that provided the atomic submarines with the Polaris missiles. So, although I was not involved directly with that part of it, many of the mates that I worked with uh, were And we shared a lot of interesting stories about that part of the duty we had to perform. When the ship was finally ready to make sea trial, we left for Cuba. The day after we arrived, they shut the base down. That was when the beginning of the Castro regime was uh, taking hold. The Cuban citizens, however, were still allowed on the base, and there were many of them. But we were not allowed to leave the ship to go across into the uh, Cuban mainland. So they provided everybody with plenty of beer. And uh, for the few days we were on shore, we did have a good time. Well, we left Cuba and we had to go to uh, Virginia for what they call degausing. That's where they take the electrical charge out of the hull of the ship. And uh, we spent several weeks in Virginia outfitting the ship, went back to Charleston and from Charleston, obviously, we waited our orders to depart for the Holy Lock, which none of us had ever heard of before. My original choices were uh, underwater demolition, submarine school and any other type of uh, minesweepers, anything that had a lot of activity. Well, the closest I got to sub-school was they sent me to school for nuclear repair, realizing at the time that I was going to have something to do with reactors, which was not true. Uh, What I was being trained for is that if there was a problem with a reactor, we were the expendables. Well, we learned enough about the reactors to understand the primary and secondary loop systems. And along with that, we were taught that, you know, you would be assigned to teams to go in and remove a component. And based on the component and the longevity of the work involved in removing the component, you would either get a minimal dose under certain circumstances and you would be restricted or you would get a once in a lifetime dose, which meant you could never be around a a reactor again. Fortunately, none of us ever had to do any work within the reactor field.
1: Well, I went to the States in October of '62. Prior to that, uh, when the Proteus arrived in the I was in the fifth year at school, and I actually met Fred. Either had been a bomb, bomb, and the bomb march in the an anti-Polaris march, and some of my friends and I were walking along the front, going to the famous Junos for a glass of hot um, orange and would split a shawl and Fred came up and said to me, excuse me, uh, can you tell me where I can rent a car? And um, my dad's cousin, Peter McKillop, had the uh, garage next to Juno's and I very snottily said to him, there, it's my uncle's. And so <laughs> that was our beginning. And then. Um, That night, there was a sports dance at the old, I think it was the old pavilion, or the Queen's Hall. I can't can't remember. Uh, But Freddie came up and asked me to dance. And um, I asked him, well, what foot do you kick with? And he said, you know, what? I said, what foot? Are you a left footer or a right footer? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, are you a Catholic or a Protestant? And he said, well, it's none of your business. <laughs> and um, so we, he got up and we did the Gay Gardens. Well, was, was that the first it dance? It was
2: almost. She said, can you do the Scottish dances? I said, well, what dances are you referring to? The Gay Gardens, the Highlands, the Tiche, and the Ensign Real. I said, no, but give me a half hour. And I walked away and I had to watch the folks do their dances. I went back over and rested rest of night, but her boyfriend wasn't very happy about that. So I didn't push the issue. <laughs> so
1: that's how we met. Well, we dated and we're both very athletic. That we had in common. I was still a sports, well, I'm still a sports fanatic, but um, he used to enjoy go come to the football games with me and we dated and then we got married and um we've been oh lord we've been over here as I said almost fifty-eight years. So a long, long time. Home was on Collin Sea. And originally we lived in Scalisy with uh, my mother's father. My father was in the Navy and the Royal Navy. Um and at that point in time, we lived in see My father, after the war, went back to McBrains. He was chief engineer on the Loch Nevis. My grandfather retired and we moved to a shepherd's hut, Bonavet, and uh, there was no running water, obviously no electricity, no toilets, but it was heaven on earth. It was marvelous. And our grandfather took a stroke and, um, I went to live with my aunt and uncle. My aunt was the only teacher on Colinsy at the time. And we moved to Dunoon and stayed with my father's father. He owned a butcher shop in Argyll Street Dunoon, uh, Moody Butchers, Moody Brothers. And um, Dunoon was wonderful too. Both, both Dunoon and Collinsey were just magical places to grow up in. We had so much freedom. And even today, you know, I get I manage to get home usually two or three times a year, and I'm amazed. You can walk down Argyle Street, up John Street, and there's always people, you know, and people that you meet. And I've lived in the states fifty year 58 years, and while I've made a lot of friends, there's there's nothing like home. You know, not only the scenery, but the people and it's I'll t- I miss it every day of my life. I loved it so much. And that's not in any way saying that life in America hasn't been great. It's been fabulous, but it's not home. I can't absolutely recollect when I first heard, but I remember the day they arrived and um, we were betwixt and between. You know, we were fascinated by the Americans coming, but then on the other hand, we're equally fascinated by Bertrand Russell and all the CNDers. So um, it it was very interesting and and very diff- uh, very different. The first weekend, I think, the first Saturday, we're all out to Arden Adam, and of course we had all the band, the Bombers, and Matt McGinn's group all singing. And then on the other hand, we were about to date Americans. So it was a double-edged sword. And it still is today. Freddie and I are at different ends of the spectrum with regards to politics and things like that. Last August, I was uh, spending time up in Lewis with my cousin Brian we had a sing-along. I was I had some American friends with me. Both he and I broke into all the c d songs and we were amazed that we both remembered them, almost word for word. So it's a long time and a long memory. I think, Linda, you were there a few years ago in Sandbank. Brian and George and several others were asked to reminisce about the americans and the noon and to me it was quite amazing because george had just been in charge of nato my recollections of george in school was he was a little cnd and of course his island background uh, made a big difference
2: too i was a third class petty officer so basically i had a, a- a couple of guys that were more or less direct reports. We had a first class petty officer who pretty much ran the engine room for us. But uh, maintaining the uh, seven diesel engines we had, or five, I'm sorry, six diesel engines, and we provided service to the subs alongside. Whenever the Polaris uh, subs came alongside, they would reduce their power and we would auxiliary power provide them with the necessary electricity to keep their critical systems running. Uh, Rebuilding the engines, tearing them down for preventative maintenance, making our own fuel. We had uh, to purify our own fuel on board. So we had large purifying units. Uh, We had to make our own fuel, cleaning the, the strainers and getting all the fish from the holy lock out of the strainers. Basically it was a seven to three or nine to five job. And Plus, you had your duty watches, which are four on and eight off. In the beginning, we had Cinderella Liberty, so everybody had to be back on board by midnight. So that meant taking the Liberty boats and, you know, leaving to noon, catch the bus, go to Hardin Arden Adam Pier, hop on a boat, and be back in time if you had the mid-watches. It had more ramifications than just being a, a, a nice saying, if you didn't make it back, you turned into a pumpkin real quick. It was good duty. My whole tour was good duty.
0: I'm, I'm really curious. You said earlier on about de-electrifying the ship. Can you say a bit more about that? As a, as a lay person, that sounds really interesting.
2: The degaussing was a procedure that was used pretty much uh, throughout the Navy during World War II because most of the mines were either contact or magnetic. And by degaussing the ship, you did the, uh, relieve a lot of the magnetic field that builds up metal object passes through water continually. I don't know why they were worried about it at the time, but there was a great sensitivity with the Polaris missiles on board too. That may have had something to do with it, but it was just a procedure that we had to go through. There was nothing that we could do. We were not on board except for specific people involved in the degaussing the procedure. I really don't know enough about Degaussing than what I've explained to you.
1: Well, I would like to to uh, number one ask you were on the ship when it came over. Obviously, I yes. came uh, I came in uh, March of sixty two, mm-hmm. and I flew into Prestwick and and joined the Proteus at that time. And I went in the forward engine room. Were you in the Were you there at
2: that time? I, I was in the aft engine room, Jerry.
1: You were in the aft one, right? Yes. We, prob- we probably passed each other and or maybe even met at quarters or something, but I don't remember you, I'm afraid. Of course, we probably uh, changed a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> we're all a bit older. Uh, <laughs> you think?
2: <laughs> well, you know, part of it was the F engine Room gang was uh, not that big. I think there were probably about 20 of us, mm-hmm. if there were any. Uh, I hung around with three. Pacific Fellows, they were all weightlifters and bodybuilders. Right. Uh, So I didn't see much of my crew unless we were having mess together or on watch together. The rest of the time I'd spend with these uh, guys, one was from California, one happened to be from Bristol, Connecticut, and the other was from New York. And uh, we spent most of our time down in the torpedo room working out. They set up a, a large gym for us. And occasionally we would uh, compete with some of the lifting teams over in Gurek and Grenick. Uh They had some pretty big boys over there that used to do a lot of power lifting. Well, I was going to say the sub sailors. I don't know how much interaction you had with the blue and gold crews, No. but uh, two of the people in the commissary were very, very good friends of the guys I worked out with because obviously we wanted lots of ice cream and peanut butter and, and things like that, and the guys on the sub would trade us for cans of lobster meat and crab meat, which we could never get for the peanut butter and the ice cream. So mm-hmm. that was our interaction with these folks. But they were generally uh, canned sardines until they hit the beach, and then they they kind of let loose.
3: I'm Andrew. Um, I was just thinking you must have been one of the earliest uh, brides.
1: Uh, yes, yes. Can
3: can I introduce you
1: to Freddie? This is Patty Paquetta's sister.
2: Oh my Hi. God. Patty Paquetta, one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. I, I ask Dan every time when she goes home, have you seen Patty? Were yeah. You
3: still with Patty, John.
1: Uh, Patty was a year older than I was, but yes. That's, yeah, my brother and, Dale. He was a bit older. Uh, Dell was in my sister Joyce's year at school, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so and yes,
1: I, I we were. I was one of the earliest brides,
3: and, then. and it must have been quite dramatic for you because in those days, going away to the states, it was much more um, parting from your family, I would say, than now.
1: Um, a smaller was, world now, because. We didn't have that. We had, you know, monthly telephone call home. Maybe more than that. It was somewhat easier because of Freddie's family. But um, the first seven year, the first seven years were the most difficult. In that, um, we I only got home once during the first seven years. I think we were home in nineteen sixty seven. My mother had come over a few times, a couple of times, and my sister moved over. But it was, it was very hard. And yeah, then, I uh, you know, now I, I'm i amazed because electronics have obviously helped so much technology and it's so easy to go home to Dunoon. It's not so easy to go home to call and see, but it's very easy to go home to Dunoon.
3: Yes. Yeah. But it must have been, um, yeah, I would imagine you must have had moments of homesickness and, uh, uh, you know.
1: Sure. I, I did. And I, and I was fortunate in that I started working several months after I emigrated. And uh, the company I worked for had a lot of Canadians, Europeans, and that also made it a lot easier.
3: Yeah.
1: Even now, after all these years, it's easier to migrate yeah. to people from home, whatever home is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it it was it was hard, and there was a large pipe band. There still is in Manchester, Connecticut, the Manchester mm-hmm. Pipe Band, and they've competed in the Carl Games quite a bit. And they always had dances. It was the British Overseas Club, and um, they always had dances. So we had lots of Scottish dances. It was quite a good group at that time of Scots. But now as we age, um, you know, there's so many dying off. And and that's true of um, when I go home, usually our school group, at least anywhere between 10 and 20 of us, get together. And in the past year, two of my closest friends from home have passed on. So, it you know, it gets harder.
3: Yes, yes, I can imagine. Um, yes, it's just it's amazing when you think of uh, being at school and getting involved in CND, and then not very long after, you marry the enemy. Well, as I said,
1: it was always a two-edged sword.
3: Well, it's
1: like avoiding generalizations. You can't look at the U.S. Navy as all bad, and you can't look at the CND as all good. So it's still
3: a balancing. Falling in love, falling in love is just what happens, and uh, there's no fighting it. Nope. Quite, it's quite, quite a romantic um, thing, really, isn't it? It's quite romantic. (laughs) Are you romantic?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it was very, very trying at times because maybe looking at us now, you wouldn't think so, but we both had tempers. Uh, (laughs) Jan's temper was like a firecracker. You know, you light it, it explodes, and it's gone my temper was more like a pot of stew. You know, you you just keep increasing the heat and then finally the pot blows up and it takes a long time to cool down. But the, the best part was, regardless of what we argued about, she would always come back and say, I still love you. You know, so it,
3: it, well, it's, it's lasted
2: for a while, hasn't it? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it must have worked. Uh,
1: well, it did. And also, I worked um, for 25 years. I was either based in Chicago or Manhattan, and so only came home at weekends. Perfect. And, and so that was <laughs> a honeymoon every weekend. And Fr- Freddie always stayed here, he always stayed in Connecticut because he worked for. Uh, United Technologies, Pratt and Whitney aircraft. Right. So he was always based here, and I was based either, as I said, either Chicago or New York.
3: I think just one of the um, one of the questions that we've asked before is: Were there any particular things about Scotland or Dunoon or the way of life here that were a surprise or quirky or? so um, yeah, surprising or a bit weird.
2: I would say the food probably was the first thing that took a little bit of uh, getting used to once you understood uh, they were traditional foods like haggis and a few other things. But the fish and chips were not a surprise. Uh, they were just far better than anything I'd had in the States. Uh, meat pies, walking in the rain was very common You get used to that pretty quickly. And the weather, which I appreciated. I I liked the cold, I didn't mind the dampness, but I did like the fact that the seasons went from cold and wet to just cold. And that suited me perfectly well. Those were my biggest surprises. The, The traditional stuff, I follow history. It's one of my favorite things. It led me to, you know, look deeper into what the the Scots were all about, you know, the Celts, the Picts, and, you know, you really are Irishmen. I'm sorry to say that, but, uh, you know, (laughs) I know what that means. You know that, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, you know, other than a few of the uh, quirky foods, There were very little surprises. Well, yes, there was one surprise. I thought your educational system was phenomenal. I really did. I didn't realize how smart she was (laughs) until she opened her mouth and I didn't have a way to answer.
0: You have been listening to the American Years Revisited podcast huge thanks to Jan Moody Ruffino and Fred Ruffino for taking the time to share their experiences with us. Thank you for listening. See you next time.